All right, greetings to everyone at all of our campuses. We are glad that you are here. Hope you had a great 4th of July. What a privilege it is to to celebrate the God-given freedoms we enjoy in this country. Um, when, when Raylene and I first moved to, uh, to Greeley, we played quite a bit of tennis. Um, I was on a tennis team for a few years, she was as well, and, and uh, I was really focused on improving my game. Well, during that, that period of time, I heard someone talking about these, these special sunglasses for tennis. So, pretty cool, huh? Um, yeah, but uh, obviously you don't wear them for the cool factor. But what makes them so unique and suited for tennis is that they have this special lens. They have these special lenses that filter out certain colors except yellow. So the tennis ball looks brighter and more noticeable, which is a definite advantage on a tennis court. Uh, Unfortunately, they did nothing to help my backhand, but, uh, but they do change the way you see what's happening on the court. And they do so in a way that's advantageous. You know, when I look at what's happening um, in our society today and what's happening in the church today, I believe what we desperately need is a special set of sunglasses, spiritually speaking. We need a way of viewing cultural issues through a biblical lens, a lens that would enable certain ideas and concepts to just kind of fade into the background, things that aren't really aligned with God's heart, while other concepts and ideas that do align with God's heart would become more clear and, and, and more prominent. We need to view the issues of our day through a biblical lens, and that's not always easy. I mean, because often our views get shaped by our culture or by political rhetoric. It's not always easy to see things from a biblical lens, and yet it is critically important that we do so. Now, while there are many issues that fit into this category, one of the most relevant and controversial issues right now in our nation is the issue of immigration. It's a topic that is in the news almost every day. It's a topic that stirs significant emotion from both sides of the political aisle. But more than that, it's a topic that impacts the lives of millions of people. And because of that, I believe it is so important that we are thinking biblically about this rather than simply being persuaded by television or whatever, or one side or the other. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this issue through a biblical lens, trying to discern God's heart. Now, there are, by the way, there are, tw- there are about 10 other churches in Greeley that are focusing on this issue, Greeley and Evans, where they're focusing on this issue as well. So that's very, very cool. Now, I know, I know this is a divisive issue. We all know that. In fact, a friend of mine just told me uh, a while ago, he told me um, that, um, that uh, he was at a July 4th um, event barbecue, um, and there was a very, just yesterday, and there was a very heated discussion about this topic for about an hour, um, and at the end, someone said, you know, the church ought to do a teaching series on this. Uh, well, so here we are, okay? Uh, I, kn- I know this is div- a divisive issue. I know there are lots of opinions and, and on this topic. Topic and maybe some, some heated opinions and all that. Here's, here's what I would ask. I would ask all of us here to have an open mind and an open heart to what God might want to be saying to us through his word. I'm not interested in promoting a particular political party or position. I'm not interested in furthering my opinions. What I'm interested in is us processing together what God's word says about this so that the things he cares about become more prominent in our vision, so that we see and we respond with his heart rather than what others may be saying. 
Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, the issue is without a doubt very complex issue um, with very strong opinion. Just a few weeks ago, there was a letter to the editor in the Tribune, that, the Greeley Tribune, that captures the sentiment of many people. Here was the, the letter to the editor. Way too much is being made for immigration reform. It's very simple. Enter America legally or stay out. So I'll simplify it even more. Immigrants who are in the country illegally are criminals. People who harbor, aid, abet, assist, or shelter those immigrants are also criminal. There really is no more to discuss. See, for a lot of people, it's a simple issue. What about illegal? Don't you understand, right? They're breaking the law. End of argument. For others, there is, this is a, this, there, there's an economic concern. Illegal immigrants are taking jobs away from Americans. They're, they're taking advantage of the system, and all of us have to carry the burden of that. And then, then, then there are the cultural concerns. Why don't they speak our language? Why do they keep flying a Mexican flag in their car? I mean, this is America. They need to adapt to our culture. See, there are, there are lots of very significant emotional issues that are raised as it relates to immigration. So what I want to try to do is, is have us begin to look at this issue through the lens of Scripture. There are actually four specific biblical lenses through which I believe the Lord would have us view the topic of immigration. The first is the lens of compassion. The lens of compassion. If you have your Bible, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 19, a very, very significant passage as it relates to immigration. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 to 19. Let me, let me read this out loud for you. Um, you can follow along if you have your Bible or iPad or whatever. For the Lord, your God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Okay, this is God's word. Clearly, God has a heart for the immigrant. He says here that he loves the foreigner residing among you, and he urges his people to love them as well in very practical ways. He talks about in other places in, in, in Deuteronomy the, the ways he wants that to happen. And here he specifically mentions giving them food and clothing. And, and, and by the way, this is not an isolated text. This word foreigner, or sometimes translated alien, is used 92 times in the Bible. Over and over again in the Old Testament, when God is giving his people his law, i.e. what he cares about, right? The law. This is what God says is important, what he cares about. 92 times, over and over again, he mentions the, he mentions the foreigner among them. Not 92 times is in all of scripture, but often in the law, he mentions the foreigner among them how he wants the foreigner to be treated by his people. God commands us to love the immigrant. Now, what's fascinating to notice is the motivation God gives for them to love the immigrant. It's not only because God loves the immigrant. That's one reason, obviously, we are to love. But notice the other reason God gives here. Look again at verse 19. And you are to love the foreigner, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. 
See, God is reminding them that they were once foreigners in a strange land. How would they have liked to have been treated when they were foreigners? This is kind of the golden rule here, right? How would they have liked to have been treated? And again, this is the irony here. In, in every one of our family lines, unless we are pure American Indian, in every one of our family lines, there is an immigrant. Every one of us is here because someone in our ancestry migrated here. This church was founded by a group of Swedish immigrants over 100 years ago. We are worshiping here today because of immigration. So, so when God says to the Israelites, remember that you were once foreigners, he could say the same thing to us. At one time in your family line, you were a foreigner, an immigrant in a strange land. Now for some of us, that was perhaps recent, fairly recent. For others of us, we may can be, be maybe decades removed from those things. So we didn't have the, 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 to suffer the struggles of uh, our, uh, that our ancestors did coming to the country, but they did struggle, you know, with language issues and, and economic issues and cultural issues, all those things they struggled with. God commands us to have compassion on the foreigners among us, to have compassion and to see their situation, to see their needs, to see their desires, to imagine ourselves in their shoes and how would we want to be treated. That's, that's compassion. That's what compassion looks like. What would we have done in their shoes? Now, I recently, um, someone uh, uh, told me about this show called 30 Days, this television show called 30 Days. And in it, a guy named George Frank, who's a, who's a minute man, in other words, he literally guards the border with weapons. He is a minute man. He is vehemently opposed to any immigration. Well, in this show, he goes to live with a family of illegal Mexican immigrants who live in East Los Angeles for 30 days. And they're videotaping this reality show, okay, 30 days. Initially, they obviously have some interesting discussions, intense discussions about immigration and about being illegal. He tells them they shouldn't be here and, and all of those things. But over, over a few weeks as he's living there, he gets to know them. He goes out with the father and he sees how hard this man works for very little money. He sees the teenage daughter's hopes for a college education. And, and here's the kicker. When he heard that this family couldn't ever go back to Mexico to visit their extended family, grandparents and a brother, he agreed to go for them. He just agreed to go down there. And so he went down to Mexico, goes down to Mexico, and he saw where this brother lives. He saw the little girls screaming at the cockroaches that, were in that had infested the house. And then he went to the actual home where this L.A. family used to live. One room, hardly a roof, no indoor plumbing, and they have the camera on him, and you can see he was visibly moved. He couldn't imagine living in that situation. Well, I want us to watch just a little bit, a video clip from the end of the show when he was saying goodbye to this family. Let's just watch this. Okay, bueno. Ahora ha llegado el momento de despedirnos. Gracias por ser mi buena amiga. Por haber sido tan buena conmigo. Y haber compartido su hogar y, y todo. No, Se lo agradezco. La mejor amiga no podía haber encontrado. Ok. Ok. ¿Y usted? ¿Qué ha sido tan bueno, bueno conmigo? Frank. 
learned so much from you. <laughs> I'll Thanks. never forget that. Yo quiero decirte gracias. Espero que esto no quede aquí. No. Algún día, cuando se pueda, le haré la visita. Y somos amigos. Espero que sí, Frank. There comes a time when you love people for who they are. All politics aside. surprising to meet people that you don't want to be in this country because of the way they came in and liking them so much. What a shock. Never forget that. Never forget that. It's amazing what happens when the statistics become real people. He, being with that family, seeing their situation, feeling what they feel, his dad, mom, kids. It, it, it was like he was putting on a different set of glasses, seeing this issue, not through politics or rhetoric or statistics or whatever, but through relationship with real people who want the exact same thing we all want, a safe place to raise our kids, food on the table, a roof over our head, a job to provide. Now, now a small percentage of immigrants are involved in crime and violence. We read you know, about that, and it, but it's a small percentage. The vast majority simply want a better life for their family. They, they pay taxes, $7 billion annually. They, they want to contribute to society. Now, now, some may ask, well, why do they keep flying Mexican flags and keep hanging on to their culture? Why can't they learn our language? You know, Dr. Daniel Carroll, who's a professor of Old Testament at Denver Seminary, has written an excellent book on this issue called Christians at the Border. He writes this, countless Hispanics are trying to learn the ways of the United States. They do appreciate the importance of learning English, and they want to be respectful of its customs. I have heard this commitment from Hispanic pastors who are counseling their people toward these ends. I have seen it in all kinds of persons who are trying to better their lives here and raise their children in constructive ways. But the reality is this takes time. A family that moves to another country and doesn't know the language will speak their native tongue at home. And while the children learn the new language at school, it may take years for those parents to embrace it. My grandparents spoke German at home when my dad was growing up. But when I, when I knew them, they, they, had, they had learned English. Language learning and cultural adaptation happens eventually. But I think we all would agree that the expectation is not that this immigrant would completely let go of all aspects of their culture. 
I mean, just because someone proudly displays the flag of their home culture doesn't mean they're anarchists wanting revolution. They may just be wanting their World Cup team to win. God's heart is compassion toward the immigrant. He wants us to reflect that heart of compassion. Do we? Are, are we viewing this issue through, through that lens of compassion? Let me mention a couple of opportunities in this regard, specific things. One, on, on July 27th, and at, at the end of this series, on July 27th, we're going to be showing a brand new documentary called The Stranger. I've watched it. It's, it's excellent. It chronicles the experience of three different families. I'm offering a biblical perspective. That's July 27th, the Bel Air, 6 o'clock. Popcorn will be there as well. So uh, uh, make a note of that. And then also on the, at the information area at your respective campuses, there are some books, a free bookmark you can use. It's 40 days of scripture and prayer. You can put that in your Bible and it has a daily reading for 40 days. Scriptures related to this topic. Again, so that we can get a, a biblical view of God's heart on this per particular issue. It would be awesome if we were spending as much time reading what the word, the Bible says about these things as we do reading the newspaper and watching the news about these issues. That would be awesome. Okay, a second lens through which God wants us to view this issue is the lens of justice. The lens of justice. God is a God of laws and justice, and he wants our attitudes to reflect that. Now, this is where it gets a bit complicated and tricky. Many Christians approach the issue of the entire immigration issue through one passage, Romans 13, where Paul urges us to obey those in authority. So some Christians will use that verse to argue that since these people got here illegally, they need to go back. End of discussion. But here, here's the problem with that. What if the law is not just? What if the law results in oppression or corruption or confusion or families being split apart. When a law is not just, a biblical response would be to say the law needs to change so that it reflects the heart and the goodness and the justice of God. So let me, let me read a quote from a, a resolution put together by the Evangelical Covenant denomination, kind of a sister denomination to ours, but they write this, and I think it's a good summary. Currently, United States immigration law is very complex, often arbitrarily enforced, and has resulted in more than 11 million people living and working in the United States who are considered undocumented or without legal status. Our immigration system provides limited legal ways for people to flee poverty and war, but does not take into account the high demand for jobs, both high-skilled and low-skilled, in the United States. The current system also suffers from a backlog of family reunification applications resulting in long waits that divide families for as many as 10 to 20 years and unintended and unjust consequences related to black market documents, crowded detention centers, and human trafficking. That's the reality of our current immigration laws. That's the reality a friend of mine comes from illegal immigration parents, uh, um, illegal immigrant parents who moved to this area years ago to survive. They were migrant workers. 
He tells about a time when his dad, I think this happened a couple times, but one time in particular, his dad paid a lawyer several thousand dollars after being told that this lawyer could help him become legal. Never saw the lawyer again. Lost all that money. And he couldn't go tell anyone, right? Because he's illegal. Who could he report it to? I have another friend, 20 years old. He was born in Malaysia. Um, and then at the age of three months, his family moved here legally. Parents had student visas. So he has lived his whole life here from the age of three months. His sisters are citizens because they were born here, but he's not. And that three months, that three months is, it's, it's a light year, light year difference in terms of light years. Because of, because of his status, he struggled to get a job, struggled to go to college. So great student, fine young man with lots to contribute here, but he's about to be deported. See, what is an appropriate response to these situations from those of us who align our lives with a just God and a loving God? What, what, what is an appropriate response for those of us who call ourselves Christians? Even in, the, in the, even in the Old Testament, many of the laws where God mentions the immigrant, you can check this out for yourself, any, the, the laws where God mentions the immigrant, were, those laws were there to protect the immigrant. The laws were given to protect the immigrant. In God's heart, the immigrant had protected status. God wanted his people to not take advantage of the foreigner because they were so vulnerable. In a new culture, they're going to be vulnerable to all sorts of corruption and all that. God wanted to protect them. He wanted justice to work on behalf of the immigrant. He wanted justice to work for the benefit of the immigrant. And I don't think his heart has changed at all. The same thing is true today. To simply use Romans 13 as an all-encompassing argument against immigration is to potentially miss God's heart. Yeah, we need to abide by laws, but what are we to do if those laws are unjust and broken? We need to work for justice, right? We need to encourage politicians to work hard to reform the current laws so that there is a clear and fair pathway to citizenship. I'm not talking about amnesty. I'm just talking about a, a, a creating a clear, sensible pathway so that these kinds of injustices can be avoided. I mean, it's interesting how as Christians, we often quote Romans 13 about submitting to authority and all that. But just a few verses later, we read these words, same chapter. Verse 9, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Even Romans 13 ends up talking about love. Because that's the heart of God's commands. What is best for others? What does no harm to them? Surely we want our laws to reflect that kind of heart. Laws that, that are for the good of people rather than laws that are confusing and, and open the door for corruption and, and families being divided and all sorts of things like that. Okay, a third biblical lens. So we've talked about compassion the lens of compassion, the lens of justice. A third biblical lens through which we must view this issue is the lens of mission. Mission. 
You know, when I listen to some Christians talk about this issue, what concerns me is that I often hear this underlying protectionism. This is ours. We got to keep those people out. But where is that in Scripture? Where is that in Scripture? Where is this, this nationalistic us versus them thing encouraged? You know, keep those people out. God's heart has always been to bless the world, always, to create a people for himself from all nations. In fact, look with me at Paul's words in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. I mean, what a fascinating passage at multiple levels. For one thing, notice that we are all descendants of one man, Adam. Every nation comes from one descendant. I mean, in a very real sense, we are all related. And also, this passage says that God determines who lives where. You had absolutely, and I had absolutely nothing to do with where you were born, which sort of reframes this whole discussion about what is ours. We had nothing to do with that. And notice, too, the reason God places certain people or or places people specific people in certain locations. It's for the sake of mission. Did you see that? That people, he said, he places him here so people would seek him and come to know him through the gospel. I mean, God's heart is for every person to embrace the good news of Jesus and experience relationship with him. This is our mission, to reach the world for Jesus. We are called as Christ followers to move toward lost people, to tear down barriers, to reach people from all nations and languages and tribes, and to think because of immigration, they're coming to us. We don't have to travel around the world to reach unreached people. We we have nations of the world coming to us, here in Greeley even. Our Christ Community International campus is made up primarily of Karini refugees, and some of them have come to know Christ recently. Now, you need to understand what that means. Some of, some of these people, a year ago, had never heard the name of Jesus. They live in Greeley. Never heard the name of Jesus. Some of them were baptized right here on Easter afternoon this past year. Baptized right here. See, sometimes in the midst of the immigration debate, we as Christians forget our primary calling. It's to reach the world for Christ. Should we complain when the world comes to us? Should we be fearful and protective? No, I mean, a few years ago, someone sent me a a DVD about how Muslims are taking over Europe and soon will be taking over the United, or moving in in terms of the numbers and the stats and how they're basically taking over Europe and they'll soon be taking over the United States and had all these statistics. It was all panic and fear. It was a Christian kind of thing, but it was all panic and fear-based. And as I watched it, I thought, don't we want Muslims coming here? 
so we can share with them the love of Jesus? Don't we want that? I mean, the thought of us as Christians cowering in fear that immigrants are going to take over our country, is, it's baffling to me. We have the gospel on our side and the power of the Spirit and a call from God to reach lost people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Every immigrant that comes here from whatever nation, every immigrant is an opportunity for us to lovingly share God's kingdom because that's our primary mission, right? That's, That's our primary mission. That's our primary calling, We are Christians first and foremost. Everything else flows from that. We are people of God's kingdom first and foremost. Everything else flows from it. We love, I love our country, absolutely. I love my country, I'm American, all that. But first and foremost, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm on his mission and we're on his mission to this world. And, and also the Bible shows us that God often uses immigration to accomplish his plans. Um, God called Abraham to leave his country. And that was the beginning of God's plan to impact the world with the gospel. The beginning of his plan involved an immigrant. Im- immigration is not our enemy when it comes to the gospel. It's a part of God's plan, a part of his mission. He is bringing the world to us so that they can hear the gospel. When we put on the lens of mission, it radically changes how we view the immigrant among us and how we are to respond to them. I mean, this is an incredible opportunity for the gospel, an incredible opportunity to love and to share our good news with the world and to do it right here. Which leads to a fourth biblical lens through which we must view the issue of immigration, that's the lens of heaven. The lens of heaven. What, what is God's ultimate goal? What is his ultimate mission? It's not just that we as individuals have our sins forgiven. No, his ultimate mission, we're given a clear description of, his, of God's ultimate mission in the last book of the Bible. Look with me at Revelation 5, where John is given this vision of Jesus, the lamb who was slain, taking his place on the throne in Revelation chapter 5. And around this throne is this incredible worship experience. And look at what song is being sung here. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. See, that's the ultimate goal. God wants to create a people for himself, a people who love him and worship him and delight in him and serve him and notice what it is that characterizes this group of people. This group of worshipers, notice notice what characterizes them. They are from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's God's heart. That's God's heart. That's what heaven will be like. This amazing diversity of people all unified by their love for Jesus and their experience of the gospel. As I mentioned earlier, there there are um, about 10 churches in town that are focusing on this these same themes um, this summer, just helping their congregations view this, this issue biblically, about 10 churches. I was talking to one of the pastors 
who was fairly new to town. He's a young, neat young man, a Hillside Baptist. Um, and he said to me, my focus for this series, this teaching series, is gonna be how we can make our church look like heaven. I love that. I mean, didn't Jesus pray, your kingdom come? God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God's mission is to be our mission. It's not about building walls and isolating ourselves and protecting ourselves from other groups. No, no, no. It's about tearing down walls and opening our hearts and loving beyond borders. That's the mission. About a month ago, um, our staff and some other volunteers, some of you um, from our church, helped um, um, put on a big last day of school celebration for Maplewood Elementary School, just a few blocks from the 15th Street campus here. It was a great day for Christ's community uh, just to be able to help in that way. Lots of volunteers, bunch of all the kids in the school. And so we had games and food and just a lot of fun going on. So the school, the administration, the teachers were very, very appreciative uh, to you all as a church. So, so good job, church. But one of the things I noticed as I was um, serving this event was the huge percentage of Latino children at that school. It, it, it had to be at least 75% or more. Now, here's my question to those of us who are Anglo. What is our response to that? What what lens will we use to look at that? Will we view it through the lens of protectionism, of fear, of feeling threatened? Or will we view it through a biblical lens, the lens of compassion, the lens of justice, the lens of mission, the lens of heaven. Now, I have to admit, 10 years ago, I would have been bothered by that. I would have been bothered by that. I would have been threatened by it, worried about it. But you know what? Now, it excites me. The opportunity, the diversity, the challenge, the need. I mean, what a wonderfully diverse community God has placed our church in. What a wonderful opportunity we have to love others who are different than us, or perhaps different than us, and to learn about other cultures, and to demonstrate and share the gospel, and ultimately to become a church that better reflects heaven. A church that better reflects God's heart. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Campus pastors, I want to ask you uh, to come forward at your respective campuses. Come forward now so we can pray.